Say good morning to you and greet you in Christ's name. I was impressed with the fact that uh, our Sunday school text, uh, Zechariah, was uh, spoke of God's love and the greatness and majesty of God's love and the unlimited nature of God's love as in a fountain. And uh, the the title of this morning's message is Walking in Love. During the Korean War, a South Korean Christian civilian was arrested by the communists and ordered shot. When the young communist leader learned that the prisoner was in charge of an orphanage and caring for small children, he decided to spare him and kill his son instead. So they took his 19-year-old son and shot him right there in front of the Christian man. Later, the fortunes of war changed and that same young communist leader was captured by the UN forces, tried and condemned to death. But before the sentence could be carried out, the Christian whose boy had been killed came and pleaded for the life of the killer. He declared that this communist was young and that he really did not know what he was doing. The Christian said, give him to me and I will train him. The UN forces granted the request and the father took the murderer of his boy into his own home and cared for him. And today that young man, formerly a communist, is a Christian pastor serving Christ in South Korea. How is that possible? How is that possible that a person can love so much that he is able to forgive a gross injustice, a terrible tragedy, a terrible thing that is done to his family and is able to uh, show God's love in a very, very tough situation. Walking in love is the core of interpersonal relationships for the Christian. The core of the whole week, if you will, of of teaching on interpersonal relationships can be tied into a central theme and that of, of unselfishness, unselfish living, allowing God's love to work in our lives. It provides the basis for unselfish living. It provides the stimulus for living as God lives. God is love and we have God living in us. And He fills us. His love fills us and spills out onto our relationships and interactions. His love is made complete in us. That's a concept that I struggled with as I read it in 1 John. How is God's love made complete in us? And what I want to share a bit later is the fact that God's love is made complete because it it forms a complete circuit. Some of you are familiar with electrical circuits. A circuit is complete when it when it, it it makes a complete round and it goes it passes through. It's not something that dead ends. In other words, God's love comes into us, and is if we are there just holding it up, bottling it up, and, it, and it's not moving out into our relationships, it is not complete. God's love is never intended to be bottled up. It is intended to to be shared with others. When we walk in love, we show God to others around us. Love is who God is. Love defines God. God is love. When we are walking in love, we demonstrate who God is. John 13.35 says, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. I think it's one of the most clear and effective witnesses to the community around us when they can observe God's love in us as a church. You know, there is something that people will talk about and they'll say, you know, that church over there or that family or whatever other unit, that there's love. There's something special there. They've got something. They have got something special. And... That is probably the clearest witness to our connection to God. 
Okay, we'll look again at the kind of a key scripture we've been looking at this past week. And that is the great commandment found in Mark 12, verses 29 to 31. Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. The great commandment then is relating to God loving us. Our response to God's love, loving Him back. And then our love, that love that originated from God is then shared horizontally to our neighbors, our friends, our church, fellow church members, our spouse, our children. First must come our returning God's love with all our hearts, with all our souls, with all our mind, with all our strength. And then we can share it also around us. And God's love enables us to have the unselfish relationships with those around us. The next scripture I want to look at is the one in 1 John. John uh, was a loving disciple. He was the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he... I think experienced God's love maybe in a greater extent than than anyone did of Jesus' followers there. And he writes of God's love a lot. In 1 John 4, verse 7 to 12, we'll read, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God. And everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. In this was manifested the love of God toward us because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No man has seen God at any time. If we love one another... God dwelleth in us, and his love is perfected or made complete in us. Love is of God. He's the source. He's the example. He's the impetus. Unselfish love identifies us as the one that is born of God. If we don't love, we show that we are not part of his family. He manifested his love in sending his son. We talked about that this morning in Sunday school. This is the ultimate demonstration of love, and it's a chain reaction that should move on, pass on through us to our relationships around us. A couple of things to stimulate our thinking then first as we go through this discussion of love in relationships or walking in love. A couple of questions to throw out your way, and they don't necessarily have black and white answers. The first one, does love accept people as they are or does it urge us to change people? If I love you, do I just unquestioningly accept you the way you are or does that love work in ways to change you as well? I've thought about that one for some period of time. I encourage you to think about that. What Your love as it flows out into your neighbor, into your spouse, into your children, is, is, is the inclination of that love to be changing the other person or not? That is a, that's a profound question as you think about it. And there's somewhat of a mis, mixed answer to that question. Number two, what is my largest goal for others as I interact with them? If I interact with Laverne, what is my goal? I have to ask myself, especially when I get into tricky relationship issues. Okay, I get into there and, and I, I have something I need to, to deal with and it relates to you. What is my goal? I, I, I have to ask myself that question right up front. Is, is my goal 
the way what it should be? Is my goal an unselfish goal, or is my goal hidden, all laced up with some kind of agenda, my personal agenda that I'm trying to get accomplished? In other words, I'm coming to you and I am going to straighten you out. Okay? You are going to get straight by the time we're done. What is my goal? What is my goal as I uh, interact with people? Is it a selfish goal or is it a goal that is totally motivated by God's love in my heart? That's very, very important in our interactions. Third question I want to throw out there is how is God's love manifested in my life? What forms does it take? God's love is in my heart. If I'm a Christian, I have God's love in my heart. What forms, what practical forms is the outworking of that love. What does it take? What forms does it take? Okay, in our introduction, then we want to talk about love as a relationship principle. Number one, love is the most important principle in human relationships. Scripture is clear about that. There is no higher law. There is no higher motivation for good. And love. There is no higher motivation. There are all kinds of noble motivations that you may have in your heart, but there is no higher one, no more important one than love. There is no greater emphasis, impetus for change in relationships than the love of God in our hearts. Out of love springs all the lesser but very important drivers of our relationships, and these would include things like humility, out of love would come unselfishness. Out of love would come commitment. The second point I'd like to make here is love is a commitment to do what is best for others. One of the very simplistic things that I've become convinced of, but maybe it never hit you, is that the opposite of love is not hate. Hate is a very intense emotion, but the opposite of love is not hate. What is the opposite of love? Think about that. The principle of love. What is the opposite of love? It's, un it's selfishness. The opposite of love is selfishness. You're going to, we're going to really try to focus on that this morning. What, what, what selflessness love is. Love is a commitment to do what is best for others. In love, everything changes. In genuine love, in unselfish love, everything changes. Gone is my own agenda. Gone is my focus on myself. I don't have the, the picture up here right now, but if you if you think of the, the illustration of the three circles, humility, driven by love, is when our focus is away from ourselves. It's always away from ourselves. It's first to God in a vertical relationship, and then horizontally to others. And the focus is on others. Everything changes. What's a little confusing to us is a... Uh, country, as a, as a community that speaks English, is that love is such a generic term, right? We can love just about anything. Uh, I love ice cream, right? What does that mean? Uh, a young person is infatuated with someone and they say, oh, I love her. I, I, I love that young lady. Um, grandparents love their grandchildren. Most types of love are very selfish in nature. I want you to think that through just a little bit. I love ice cream because what it does for me. It makes me feel temporarily satisfied, right? I will scratch your back. Why? Many times it's a selfish thing because I expect sometimes you may scratch mine. I'll have you over to dinner. But, you know, maybe sometime you could do that for me. 
right? It's a very selfish motivation at its base is, is, is those kinds of love. But the word love here in 1 John that we used as our text is a, is a word that was coined by the New Testament writers to, to give an expression to unselfish love. And it's agape love is totally unselfish and concerned totally with benefit to the object or person to which this love is extended. The focus is not on me. It's on the other person. Whether that other person is deserving at all. In this was manifested, the verses we read a few months ago, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we had also to love one another. If God had any other kind of love than agape love, He would have given up on us a long time ago. We're just not that lovely. We're not that much of a blessing to Him. But He reached out in love. How can we learn? How can I learn? How can you learn what love really is? We have to see it in order to grasp. And we saw it some this this morning in our Sunday school Mm -hmm. lesson. Just a bit of a glimpse of what God's love really meant. It was demonstrated in Christ when he gave his life on Calvary. God demonstrates what love is through his son. He gave his son, his son gave his life. And we understand so much better when we see a demonstration of something. It makes a lot more sense, a bigger impression on us. God's love defines him. He reached out in love with no intent of returns. His love is driven entirely by his character and not the worthiness of the recipient. It shows who he is. It moves him. It makes him do what he does. God demonstrates what our love for others should be like. I want to go through a couple of hopefully thought-provoking statements about God's love. And as we look at these, I would like very much for you to be thinking, yeah, this is how God loves. And that same love that comprises God's character is directed into our lives, into our hearts. It doesn't come from within us, the goodness of our hearts. The goodness of our hearts is not that large, is it? Not in mine. It's really, really small. But as God's love comes down into my life, then that love then moves out. It's the only way we can love that way, is God's love being in us. So, what is God's love like? I want to make a couple of provocative statements. God's love is free and unconditional. That's the first aspect of God's love. God's love is free and unconditional. I don't know if you were told as a child that you need to be good. If you want a present from Santa Claus, you need to be a good little boy. Good little boys get presents. The unspoken intimation is that if you're not a good little boy, then I don't love you. And you won't get any presents. You don't say that. But good little boys will get presents. If you want my love and acceptance, you need to be good. We, we, we do that. And we shouldn't be doing that, but we do that. You could be a good little boy and I will love you. I don't like bad little boys. You would never say that. That sounds bad, but that is what you are saying if you say, I like good little boys. I know that mothers probably would never say that because they like bad little boys too. But we tend to sometimes limit our our love by the worthiness of the person that's there. 
And that is so unlike the character of God. God's love is not based on the worthiness of the recipient, but on his own character. The fact that he is love. I grew up in a conservative home. And uh, I struggled for many years with the concept that we must somehow earn God's favor. And if I ask for a raise of hands, I think many of you probably did grow up with that inclination. Somehow I have got to earn God's goodwill to me. In order for God's goodwill to to come out to me, I have to, to be a good little boy. And then God will love me. We somehow have to earn that that favor from God. I want people to like me. I want God to love me. I struggle to see how God can love me when I'm so undeserving. I must try harder somehow to earn God's love. I've got to earn it. If I can just get some brownie points, if I can just do some things that 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 will somehow incite God to love me. And... Uh, I know where that comes from. I, I know there's a real desire to instill um, good living in our children, and I know kind of where that comes from. But I would like you to grasp the love that I'm talking about this morning. It's not dependent on my worthiness. It's not. God loves that person that that slimy guy in the ditch that's been drinking all night and has been abusing his wife. He loves, he loves him as much as he does me. He loves him just as much. It's because it's not dependent on my worthiness. What that does then is translates into our interpersonal relationships by the fact that my love for anyone here or in my relationships, my love my unselfishness dare not depend on their worthiness of that love. I can't turn off the spigot when I see that, you know, they're, oh, they're messing up again. Okay, so we'll just, we'll just feather this thing back a little bit more because that's, they're not, they're not worth it. We're just going to cut this back. That's not what God's love is about. Here in his love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. For even when we were without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet peradventure for a good man some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were his enemies. God was not and is not ignorant of what it costs him to manifest his love. It cost him. It cost him his life. It is free to us. God loves and forgives even when I struggle to love myself and to forgive myself. His love is so amazing. I'd like to share with you a story that Lee Strobel, some of you are familiar with some of his writings, Lee Strobel shares a story that illustrates how we sometimes dislike ourselves. He says, we were doing a baptism service. We told people before they came up to the platform to be baptized to take a piece of paper, write down a few of the sins that they've committed, and fold the paper. And when they come up to the platform, there was a large wooden cross on the stage. Take that piece of paper Take a pen and pin it to the cross because the Bible says our sins are nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ and fully paid for by his death. Then turn and come to the pastor to be baptized. I want to read you a letter a woman wrote who was baptized in one of these services. She said, I remember my fear. In fact, it was the most fear I remember in my life. I wrote it as tiny as I could on that piece of paper, the word abortion. I was so scared someone would open the paper and read it and find out it was me. I wanted to get up and walk out of the auditorium during the service. The guilt and fear were that strong. 
When my turn came, I walked toward the cross and pinned the paper there. I was directed to a pastor to be baptized. He looked me straight in the eyes. And I thought for sure that he was going to read this terrible secret I had kept from everybody for so long. But instead, I felt like God was telling me, I love you. You've been forgiven. It's okay. You've been forgiven. I felt so much love for me. A terrible sinner. It's the first time I ever really felt forgiveness and unconditional love. It was unbelievable, indescribable. That's God's love. That's the amazing love of God. It's free and unconditional. Can I, can you show God's love to my your spouse, to your child, to your boss, to some person who is terribly undeserving of that love, to show that kind of love to them. Something that is not turned off because they are a turn off, because they are very, very, not very nice at all. That is the challenge of God's love in relationships. The closer we get to God, the more we absorb God's love in our experience, the more we can do that. The more we can do what that pastor did, or that care, that orphanage uh, director did to that communist who killed his son. So that's the first principle. God's love is free and unconditional. And so often we tend to put conditions on our love. You, 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 you be, you be nice and I will love you. Don't be nice and I, I'm going to cut you off. And, and, and God's love is not. God's, God's love is not that way. And we do well to consider that. The second principle is this. God's love is unchanging. God's love does not change. And I was trying to think of how to illustrate that, and I saw this picture, which I've got on the, on the slide for you, of a person taking a time-lapse photograph at the North Pole, looking up at the at Polaris, which is the North Star. If you were to take a time-lapse photograph of the North Star on the North Pole, you would see streaks of light all around the edges as the other stars move relative, or you're moving relative to the other stars. But in the very center is the is the star Polaris, or the North Pole, and it, it doesn't change in its position if you are truly at the North Pole. Very little change there. God's love does not waver with circumstances or with time. God's love does not change when we fail to do what is right. When we stumble, when we do wrong, when we make a bad decision. God's love does not change with our life circumstances. When we move from the sunshine into a cloudy time in our lives, when nothing seems to be going right, when we wonder what we did to deserve what we are experiencing, when we don't feel his love so much. God's love doesn't change. God's love is there, just like that North Star doesn't move Probably some of you have heard the story of George Matheson. George Matheson was a, a Scottish, ended up being a Scottish, a, a pastor. He was only 15 when he was told that he was losing what little eyesight he had. Not to be denied, Matheson immediately continued with his plans to enroll in the University of Glasgow and his determination led to his graduation at age 19. But as he pursued graduate studies in theology for Christian ministry, he did become blind. His sisters joined ranks beside him, learning Greek and Hebrew to assist him in his studies. He pressed faithfully on. But his spirit collapsed when his fiancée, unwilling to be married to a blind man, broke their engagement. He never married, and the pain of that rejection never totally left him. Years later, as a well-loved preacher in Scotland, his sister came to him announcing her engagement. He rejoiced with her, but his mind went back to his own heartache. 
he consoled himself in thinking of God's love, which is never limited, never conditional, never withdrawn, and never uncertain. Out of this experience, he wrote that hymn, O love that will not let me go. You're familiar with that. O love that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. What about your love? What about your love for your spouse? Does it change? Does it change when it meets resistance, when it's not received well, when it's misconstrued? God's love never changes. That is the love that we're talking about this morning. The next principle is that love must be received and shared. And I illustrate that with the three circles of a relationship. And I've talked about it already this morning. Love, First John says, is from God. That's where it originates. It is directed toward us. But then it doesn't stop there. It moves on through us to others. It must be received and it must be shared. God made us with the, the ability to choose. And His love is directed to the whole world. Every human being on the whole earth is, God's love is sufficient for every human being that ever was born, will be born. His love is sufficient. And I, I still remember a, ch- a song from my childhood that had some kind of Amish uh, aunts and uncles that used to sing together as a quartet. And they sang that song, There Was One Drop of Blood Shed Just For Me. I don't know if you remember that song, anybody. As the, as the blood was shed on Calvary, and we talked about that this morning, the blood dropped down and there was one drop shed just for me. I, You know, that's kind of an oversimplification. But what I'm trying to say is that God's love is sufficient for everybody. But why does why do people not receive God's love? Why do some reject God's love? You talk to somebody about Christ and they, they reject it. God's love must be received into our hearts. First of all, it must be received. We can rebel against it. We can trample it underfoot. And you know, love is is not safe. Have you ever heard that term? Love is not a safe thing. It's not. And some people, due to their insecurity, they can't receive love. They don't want to receive love because it's not safe. Love does does very, very strong things. Many times it involves struggle. Many times it wrings our heart and our emotions and tests us right to the limit. It makes us vulnerable. And many have rejected God's love because it's not safe. You know, the only place that's safe from God's love is in hell. Did you know that? That's the only place where you're safe from God's love. Because God's love is no longer there. Hell, the big component of hellfire is separation from God and God's love. Many of us were raised up on the fear of God, and I respect that. We should raise our children in the fear, up with the fear of God. God must be reverenced. God is absolutely holy and just and awesome. And until we understand God's holiness and our own undoneness, we cannot become saved. We are to tremble in His presence with reverence and joy. We also need to experience God's love. And that's where the balance comes in. God is His characteristic. Someone likened Him to a cube, and and we can't describe God. I would be slow to even try. But He has, in His character, there is on one side holiness. Absolute holiness, intolerance for sin. Over on the other side is this love. And God is all of those things. If we get unbalanced, and I think sometimes we, growing up in a conservative family where we were drilled in with the fear of God as we were growing up, 
we sometimes find it hard to accept God's love. We sometimes find it hard. We need to accept God's love. God absolutely loves us. He loves us so much. We, we need to revel in that love. We need to experience God's love. We need to receive it into our hearts. And I shared this a bit the other evening. I have experienced God's love in my devotional time. And I would encourage you to make that a time when you bask in God's love. You don't have to say anything. You don't have to be profound in your prayer. You don't have to be good at this. You need to sit there and absorb God's love. You read a passage like was read in our Sunday school this morning, and you, you say, you know, he did this for me. I say, thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much. You love me. Yes, you did. You absolutely love me. I receive that love. I receive it. I bask in it. The second part of that equation is that God's love must be shared. Let us love one another, for love is of God. Love originates from God. He is the source. It's a miracle. It's His divine power. His love is in our heart, and we respond to His love. We return His love. And then we, his love is shed abroad through our hearts. The proof of God's love in our hearts is when it reaches out to other people. By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one to another. God's love must pass through our lives into the lives of, of those with whom we have relationships. We are, if you will, a substation. If you think of electricity, a substation where we simply receive the love and we pass it on. We are that switch that opens up and receives in love and then makes the connection to those around us. If we find it so hard to love, and many of us do, I'm a troubleshooter. Some of you are. I like, I troubleshoot a lot of electrical circuits. If it's not coming out, if it's not coming out of the switch, I get my meter and I gotta find out is it coming in? Right? Is the breakdown in the switch or in the relay? or in the transistor or whatever device is doing the switching. Is that where the breakdown is? If it's not coming out, if love is not coming out of your life, maybe your experience of God's love is very limited. And you need to, your relationship with God is where the weak link is. And you're not really experiencing God's love. You're not able to, sh to share it with your difficult uh, teenager. He's not very lovely right now. He's pretty rebellious. And he's not, he's not a person that you would think even deserves it right now. But the love isn't flowing out. It's not the teenager. It's, it's you. And if you stop that love off, it's you. It's not flowing through. Is my love flowing out? God who cares wants to make his love complete in us and through us to reach others. Okay, to the practical side of love and relationships. And if I was to ask you, I think you could all tell me where you can find that. It's in 1 Corinthians 13. And I'm going to just be going down over a list of some of the practical outworkings of love and relationships. What form does love take in our relationship? What form should it take? And... Uh, the context for 1 Corinthians 13, I just taught through 1 Corinthians in our home church. The context for 1 Corinthians 13 is the Corinthian selfishness and trying to see who had the best gift and who was the, who could speak in tongues the most and who could do all these other things. And it was a focus on themselves. It was a focus on, you know, look at me kind of thing. I'm better and I can do these things better. And right in the middle of that discussion on spiritual gifts, Paul took a break from them and he says, you know, but the important thing is that you love. 
And that love must be the higher motivation in all of this. I don't know if you know what list fatigue is. Those of you who are in education, I think you know what I'm talking about. You have a long list of stuff that you're going to go through. Right? And you get what is called list fatigue. I would like to prevent that a little bit. You know, A pastor should have never more than three points to his message. Because you come away with list fatigue. And people get, you know, just really, really bogged on, oh man, I've got ten more points to come up. To make this practical this morning, one of these areas is your unique challenge in your relationships. One of these areas I hope will, will, will hit you right between the eyes. And you will say, look, there is the manifestation of love that I need to hear. That's the one that is giving me trouble. And that's the one I want to focus on. So we're going to go through these very quickly and uh, try to identify what these are. And and then hopefully you'll pick up one or two that that will be a blessing to you. The first one is patience. Charity suffereth long is what 1 Corinthians 13 says. And a definition for, would that be is bearing with the faults of others in the process of helping them overcome them. Bearing with the faults of others in the process of helping them overcome them. Someone has said love is, is uh, patience is love under pressure. That's a good way to put it. You know, it's easy to love for a little bit, but you know, now things are getting, you know, no, nothing is changing. They, these people are not appreciating what I'm doing with, for them. I've reached out in love to these people and they just don't appreciate it. They don't, they're not responding. They're just a hard-hearted bunch. And I, I just, I want to give up. I'm going to quit. They're unreasonable. They're exasperating. They take too long. Love is patient. Dealing, bearing with the faults of others in the process of helping them overcome them. Being concerned more about God's program than my own. Confidence that He is working and giving Him time to work. So, patience is a manifestation of love in your relationships that some of you need to work on. I need to work on it. That's a, that's a particular problem of mine. I just can't be patient enough. And, and it's, it's a lack of love. It's a lack of love in, in the patience that I need to work with people. Maybe it's a mother here. Mothers have to deal with a lot of frustrations throughout the day and weeks and what have you. Uh, maybe it's a dad. I, maybe it's a, it's a church leader here. I don't know. But it's, it's, a, it's a, a manifestation of love. The second one is kindness. And you could define it as relating to others with a sensitivity toward them as persons. Love manifests itself in kindness. And you think kindness is for children, right? No, it's, it's for all of us. Be kind. You can never go wrong being kind. I told somebody that the other evening. You can't go wrong being kind in a difficult relationship. In a difficult relationship that is not responding to you trying to solve this relationship. What can I do? There's, this person is not responding to my efforts at all. If I, if I walk in there, he's going to bite my head off. And especially as a church pastor, I know that feeling. I know that feeling. I tell the young person, look, you, you need to, you need to do this anymore and you're going to fall off the cliff. They jump right off the cliff. And their mom and dad bite my head off. Kindness still works. Just be nice. Be nice. Don't, don't, don't retaliate. Be nice. Do something nice for them. That person who doesn't deserve a thing. I read a cute little story and I think I'll take time for it. Hey, Jim Shipstead tells a story. Well, Penny and I were walking in the park the other day. A 10-year-old boy came racing around in a tree, almost running into us, and said, Dad, where's Amy? Instantly, he realized his mistake and said, Sir, I'm sorry. I thought you were my dad. I made a mistake. I replied, That's okay. Everybody makes mistakes. 
As he began to walk away, I noticed he had a limp as well as the features of a child with Down syndrome. After having walked about 10 yards as an afterthought, he turned around and started retracing his steps toward us. My name is Billy, he said. You are both very nice to me. Can I give you a hug? After giving each of us a tight hug, he said, I just wanted you to know that you're my friends and I'm going to be praying for you. I have to go now and find my sister, Amy. Goodbye and God bless you. Tears came to both pennies in my eyes as we watched Billy. That child with Down syndrome limped to the playground to play with his little sister. After Billy went down the slide, his mother came over to him and gave him a big hug. It was obvious that he was a special child to her. Sometimes God uses the Billies of the world to break down our walls of sophistication to show us what genuine kindness is all about. We must never underestimate the impact that a hug, a smile, or an encouraging word may have on a person's life. The third practical outworking of love in relationships is not jealous, not desiring, resenting, or working against that another possesses or enjoys. The natural worldly person constantly struggles with envy. When we love with agape love, we rejoice in the successes of others. We are happy when it goes well for them. Their happiness is on top of our list. This is agape love. We're not jealous. We're happy for them. We laugh with those who laugh. We cry with those who cry. We focus on them. Number four, love is humble. We spent an evening talking about humility in relationships. Charity vaunteth not itself. Treating others as having more value or importance than myself. Giving honor to others. Love, the opposite of love is not hate, but selfishness. Love is not rude. Our culture is very rude. Lost a lot of respect. People don't treat elders the way they should. They do silly things in public. Rudeness is being insensitive to the effects that my behavior may have on others. Love seeks the comfort of others, not my own um, crassness. Love is the opposite of selfishness. Love is not easily provoked. How many of you have a real short fuse? I don't know you well enough. But you know, you've been told that you have a short fuse. You need God's love to temper that. Responding to provocation under the Spirit's direction rather than according to my feelings. When's the last time you were provoked? What did you do with that? Is there uncontrolled anger in your life? Is there that absence of agape love? If I'm easily irritated at others, it only takes a little misconduct on the part of others to make me angry. I need more of the love of God in my life. The great 18th century preacher and theologian Jonathan Edwards had a daughter with an uncontrolled temper. When a young man asked Dr. Edwards for his daughter's hand in marriage, he said no. The young man was crushed. But I love her, and she loves me, he pleaded. That makes no difference, Edwards says. She isn't worthy of you. But she is a Christian, isn't she? The young man argued. Yes, said Edwards, but the grace of God can live with people with whom no one else could ever live. Jonathan Edwards. Easily being provoked. Something about love is slows that down and it it helps us to uh, be more patient with people. Don't get eagerly easily provoked. I'm not. My happiness is not dependent on other people's responses. I'm secure in God's love. I don't get irritated as easily, not easily provoked. Anger needs to be worked out of our lives. 
We talked about that the other night in emotions. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Number seven, does not dwell on others' faults, imagining evil motives in the words and actions of others. Love keeps no record of wrongs. How does it get rid of the record? I know you, I know, you know the answer. It's, it's through forgiveness. Oh, but I've forgiven people. I forgave everybody. Next time you talk to the individual and he's still got that list. And he can recount every line. That is not forgiveness. I'm going to spend the evening tonight as our subject is forgiveness. Keeping a clean slate in relationships. So we're going to talk about that a lot more. What do I do with the injustices and wrongs that happen to me? Number eight, love endures. Love is very, very enduring. Maintaining unfailing confidence in right, continuing in faithfulness no matter what adversity comes. When I think of this characteristic of love, I have in my notes the story of the prodigal son. The story goes, Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son, and it says that when the father saw the son coming back, he saw him a long way off, and he was and he received him as he came back. How or why? What was the coincidence that made him see that son so far away? I think he was waiting for him. I think he hadn't given up on his son. Love endures. Love continues to endure. Maintaining unfailing confidence in right, continuing in faithfulness no matter what adversity comes. Is love always practical? No. You super, super practical people, it does, sometimes love makes no sense. Sometimes you got to do stuff that doesn't make any sense. He continues to hope. He continues to see the best qualities in others. I'm glad that God reached out to me when it didn't make any sense. God's love in our hearts. Let us love one another, for love is of God. God's love. It's amazing. It, is, it will solve so many relationship issues. So many things can be cleared up if there's godly love toward each other. God bless you and we'll call for a song at this time. And, uh,